I love these young worship pastors. One of my son-in-laws, I have two of them. One of my son-in-laws is a young worship pastor, served at Prestonwood in Dallas for a few years, and now is at Calvary Baptist Church in New York City. The address is 12357th 57th Street in New York City, right down from Carnegie Hall. It's where Stephen Olford pastored for many, many years, and he's the worship pastor now. And I get these young musicians, and they are a talented, talented lot. They're also a little bit different, but that's okay. They're a talented talented group. And Brother Ryan, that song that you've chosen for the invitation is just going to fit perfectly with this message. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to tell you my name is Richard. You're going to tell me your name on the count of three. Hello, everyone. My name is Richard. One, two, three. That's about as good as it could be in a Baptist church. Isn't that right? It is an absolute joy for me to be here. And I say that with all respect and all sincerity. I have known your pastor and his precious wife, Miss Pam, for a number of years. When I pastored a little country church down in Fort Myers, Florida, McGregor Baptist Church, wonderful place for believers to gather in that area of our state. Uh, the privilege for Dwayne and I to get to know each other. We pastored like-minded churches. We had so much in common. Dwayne and I both love the Lord Jesus. We love to preach the Word. We love our family. We love our church. We're both horrible golfers. We have a lot in common together. and so. We became very, very good friends very, very quickly. I retired about two and a half years ago from down there for some health reasons and have been doing this, you know, really ever since. And I'm delighted to be here while you have rightly sent your pastor and his wife on a beautiful and wonderful trip on a cruise in Alaska. I'm just a little concerned why Dwayne waited two and a half years to ask me to come preach in his church. Maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe in about 30 minutes you'll know why he waited for two and a half years to invite me to come to preach in his church. But it is a real honor for me to be here today. And I know that when Pastor Dwayne gets back, do me one favor. If I never meet you again, do me one favor. When he comes back, let him know that in your eyes he's the greatest pastor on planet earth and you are so glad to have him as your shepherd in chief here at Cross Life Church. Would you do that for me? Let him know we said that. Let him know that we mean that. Now let's get to the important matter at hand, studying God's Word. If you have a copy of your Bible, I want you to get it out. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 5. I also encourage you to get out a copy of the Bible study notes that uh, your folks have graciously prepared to help with this message. Just something that we can write with. Get out something that uh, you can write with, pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, I don't really care what it is. Just fill in some blanks so that you'll have a better understanding of what we're talking about today. Now, today's message is on a story in the Bible from Mark chapter 5 that talks about Jesus' encounter with the Gadarene demoniac. Now, if you're a Christian and a Vacation Bible School graduate, you're going to know this story. Matter of fact, you're going to be very familiar with the story. If you're not, if somebody beat you up or tricked you or drug you to be at this church here this morning and you'd rather be almost anywhere else, I just want to tell you right up front, this is a really cool story. You're going to enjoy this. What is the Gadarene demoniac? Well, it's a man from Gadarene. Actually, the Bible calls them the Gerasenes. I have no idea why they change Gerasenes to Gadarene. But it's the man from the area of the Gerasenes, which is in the southern part of the Sea of Galilee. And he is a Gadarene demoniac. That means that he's demon-possessed. So today's story is about how Jesus interacts with a man who's demon-possessed. So whatever difficulties you face in life, it can't be worse than the dude we're talking about today. Now, I want to share with you something 
that is really the purpose of this message. This is why I believe God laid this message on my heart. I don't know many of you. Most of you don't know me very well. We're just getting to know each other. But in praying and asking God, Lord, what do you want me to share this morning with the wonderful people of this church? I really believe that he pointed me to this area, and here's why. Because it's such a powerful lesson that we need to hear in our world today. Don't you agree with me? Help me out, church family. Don't you agree with me that we face some difficulties in our world that just would be affected positively if the people in those situations would just meet Jesus? I mean, we have these massive meetings. Are they on? Are they off with the President Trump and this dude, Kim Jong-uno or whatever his name is, over in North Korea? And, and, and we don't know what's going to happen. But can you imagine how that situation would be drastically affected if those two guys would just meet Jesus? We also face some challenges in our country that would be drastically different if the people involved would just be Jesus. We've had these shootings. You guys have been affected as Floridians. We've been affected as, as Houstonians and Texans. And, and, and if the people who think it's a good idea to go kill people randomly, if those people would just meet Jesus, our world would be a little different. And I dare say that even in this wonderful church, the problems that you face, and I don't, I don't know what they are. As a matter of fact, as far as I'm concerned, you don't, you don't have any problems. I don't see any. But, but, but whatever problems it is that you face, and we all face some problems, don't you agree that even the difficulties and the issues that we face in our local churches, if we would just meet Jesus, those problems would probably vanish. Or let's make it more personal. Your life, my life, ma'am in the back in the yellow, your life, Sir, in the orange shirt in the back in your life, gentlemen right here that I met a few moments ago in your life and in my life and in all of our lives, whatever issues that you face, maybe your issue is financial. Maybe your issue is in your family. Maybe you need somebody to help you pay your power bill. Maybe your children have walked and gone off the deep end spiritually. No matter what it is, if we could just take that problem and take the people that make up that issue, if we could just meet Jesus there, it would be so different. That's what this story is all about. As a matter of fact, if you see at the top of your Bible study notes, the title of this message is very, very important. It is a message within the madness miracle. Because a lot of times when we look at this miracle in Mark chapter 5, we think the miracle is what the story is all about. There's a lot of things that Jesus put in the Word in the Bible, and there's a lot of things that happened during his ministry that didn't make the cut for the Scriptures. Why did Jesus put this miracle with the gathering demoniac in the Word? I don't believe it's because he wanted to show off how he could defeat Satan. When you think about it, Jesus beating up on Satan is not exactly news. Satan is no match for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So why is this in there? What I want to talk about today is I want to take this story from being about a miracle because that's really not news. I want to go, what is the message that God wants us to learn from this story? And I believe it's a message that Jesus tells us over and over and over and over in the Scriptures. And I think as Christians, honestly, sometimes we still refuse to catch the message. It kind of reminds me of a story of a lady one time who buried three husbands, three, not one, not two, but three of the husbands that she was married to, when they were married to her, they died. 
And the policeman began to get a little bit suspicious, and so they called her in after her third husband died and said, ma'am, we, we want to talk with you about the death of all of your husbands. And she said, all right, that'll be fine. What can I do with you? She said, well, we pulled the death certificates on all three of your husbands, and the first husband, the death certificate says that he died from broccoli poisoning. They said, ma'am, do you know anything about that? She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I planted it, I harvested, I picked it, I cooked it, I fed it to him. I fed him the broccoli. And the police said, well, do you know anything about how he died from broccoli poisoning? She says, no, the, uh, the investigation never found anything out about that. And the police said, okay, well, the death certificate of your second husband said that he died also of broccoli poisoning. Do you know anything about that? She said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know all about that. I, I bought that broccoli. I planted that broccoli. I grew that broccoli. I, broccoli, I, I harvested that broccoli. I, I cooked that broccoli. I fed that broccoli to my husband. They said, well, do you know anything about how he died of broccoli poisoning? She said, oh, no, the investigators never found out anything about that. And the police says, well, on the death certificate of your third husband, it said that he died of blunt force trauma. She goes, yeah, I couldn't get him to eat his broccoli. <laughs> and sometimes I look at these scripture passages, these stories that are not in there for the miracle aspect of it. Jesus didn't come to the earth to be the great miracle worker. He came to the earth to seek and to save that which was lost. So what is the message behind this miracle that God seems to keep pounding into us time and time and time again? And sometimes it's like we refuse to eat and feast on the word of God in what Jesus really meant for us to learn in these stories. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know why you're here this morning outside of it's church time. But if you came this morning and you really are facing a difficulty, maybe there's this problem that's really pressing up against you. Maybe it's a family problem, or maybe it's a financial problem, or maybe it's a, it's a personal problem. Maybe it's an emotional problem. If you don't hear anything else that I say, and I'll probably say that a couple of times this morning, but if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, listening to, listen to this statement. Whatever you think is your pressing need not, might not be your primary need. Whatever you think is your pressing issue, oh, I've just got to find a solution to this situation. That may not be your primary need because if you can take care of your primary need, it will fix your pressing need. You say, well, what is this primary need? Well, I'm going to tell you that as we study God's Word together this morning. Are you ready? If you have your Bible study notes, I want you to notice three or four things this morning. Preachers always talk in three or fours, right? Here's the first thing that I want you to notice on your Bible study notes. I want you to notice the miserable soul. Write that down if you would. Roman number number one, the miserable, miserable soul. Our Bible study story in Mark chapter 5 begins with these verses, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says this, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes, and as soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met the Lord Jesus. Now let me set the stage for the story. Jesus lived and ministered around the Sea of Galilee, which sounds like it's some giant sea or some giant ocean. It really isn't. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, the Sea of Galilee really is a small lake. You can puddle on out to the middle of the lake in a boat and then just stop in the middle of the lake and you can see land all the way around, 360 degrees all around you. You can see land. You're never, you're never in the middle of this giant body of water. The Sea of Galilee is actually just a small lake. 
the northern part of that lake, the upper half of that lake, is where Jesus spent 80% of his ministering years. That's where all the Jews were. And the, the gospel came to the Jew first and then the Gentiles. So Jesus spent most of his time in the northern part. And so in this story, it begins by Jesus gathering all of his 12 little Jewish boys. We call them disciples. Innocent, young, naive, didn't really have a clue. Made so many mistakes, it's newsworthy. But he gathered all of his 12 little disciple boys and he said, Hey guys, today we're going prospecting. We're going looking for lost people. We're going to find some place where people need to hear the gospel and meet Jesus. Now, doesn't that sound just like what your pastor says to all of you, like all of the time? Hey, guys, as you leave this worship service today, don't forget to always be prospecting. Always be thinking about having a conversation with somebody who needs to hear the gospel and share the gospel and always find somebody who needs to meet Jesus and introduce them to Jesus. That's what our pastor always says, and that's right, because that's exactly what Jesus said to his disciples. And I'm sure when Jesus says, hey, we're going to get in a boat and we're going to go down to the south side of the Sea of Galilee, that is the same thing as saying, hey, guys, we're going to go to the south side of Chicago. And I'm sure one of the disciples, probably Big Mouth Peter, spoke up and said, Jesus, we're going to the south side. You, you, you may not know geography as well as you know theology. We don't, we don't go to the south side of the sea. We live up here on the north side where all of us Jewish guys are. We, we don't go to the south side. That's where the Gentiles are. They're not like us. We, we don't like them. Jesus said, that's where we're going. By the way, let me pause in the story and just say, hey, if there's any place in Scripture, this would be it, that lays to rest any prejudice that the gospel is meant for any particular group. It is for anybody whosoever will may come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they get in the boat, and as soon as they get in the boat, the Bible says they travel to the south side of the Sea of Galilee, which probably took them 10 minutes. And then as soon as they get out of the boat, the Bible says in this story that when they got out of the boat, that a guy came running out of the tombs and the cemetery, screaming at the top of his lungs, naked as a jaybird, Luke chapter 8 tells us, and was probably cut and bleeding because he'd pulled all the shackles and chains off of him that had tried to be used to bind him to a certain place. He was running around. He was a madman. And as soon as the disciples got off the boat, that guy comes running out of the tombs and meets them. And I'm sure one of the disciples said, Jesus, I told you this is a bad idea. I'm going back to the boat. Jesus said, no, 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 no. We're going to go prospecting. Now, the Bible says in that verse that we just read in verse 2 that he was a man of an unclean spirit. What does that mean? Look at your Bible study notes. Number one, it means that he was demented. It means that he was demented. When the Bible says an unclean spirit, that's Bible talk for demon-possessed. Somebody asked me, he said, Pastor, do you, or preacher, do you still believe in demon possession? And I said, absolutely I do. And let me tell you why. Because the Bible teaches demon possession. Now, do I believe that a born-again, blood-bought, heaven-bound, spirit-filled Christian can be demon-possessed? No. If you and I as believers are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, how in the world can we also simultaneously be indwelt with the spirit and the demon of Satan? But do I believe Christians can be demon-possessed? No. Do I believe that Christians can be demon-oppressed? Absolutely. 
Satan gets that toehold in our life. It's happened to me where he gets us to say things that a Christian follower of Jesus shouldn't say, do things that a Christian follower of Jesus shouldn't do, be things that a Christian follower of Jesus shouldn't be. Matter of fact, if it takes Pastor Dwayne two and a half more years to invite me back, you might see me acting like a demon-oppressed Christian. Come on, Pastor Dwayne, it's too much fun. But can there be demon oppression? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter says, be vigilant, be sober. The devil, like an adversary, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he's demented. He's a demon-possessed man from the garrison area of the Gentiles. But secondly, he's not just demented. The Bible says that he's also dead. He's, he's dead. Look, look, if you would, in verse 3 as we continue down this passage. The Bible says, this man lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him even more, anymore, even with chains. He lived in the cemetery. Now, when we say he lived among the tombs and the cemeteries, don't think about cemeteries here in beautiful Orlando Metro. It's not like it had mowed grass and freshly placed flowers and beautiful foot markers and even gorgeous granite tombstones. My family is in the tombstone business. Those things are quite gorgeous. That's what we think of when we think of a cemetery. That's not a cemetery in the days of Jesus. A cemetery in the days of Jesus was a tract of land way outside of town where they took the trash and dumped the trash, including unclaimed bodies by the dozens. He lived among the dead people. Now, when I say that this man was demented and he was dead, I don't mean that physically he was dead because he's obviously running around and screaming and making himself, making himself very well known. What I mean is I believe the Bible says this is a reference to his spiritual condition. The Bible says apart from Jesus Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. Listen, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're alive forevermore, you're, you're already beginning the part of your eternal life here on this earth, and then you'll be transported to heaven when you die. But if you're here today and you've never met Jesus, you've never heard the gospel about how you can repent and trust Christ and receive the forgiveness of eternal life, forgiveness of your sins unto eternal life, the Bible says you really are dead. Not physically, but you're spiritually dead to a whole world that Jesus Christ offers you, where there's joy unspeakable and peace that passes understanding. You're dead to all of that because that's only given to those who meet Jesus. So here's a man who's demented, but secondly, here's a man who is dead, but then thirdly, here's a man who is defeated. Listen to these verses. I continue down. I'm in verse 4 now. He's defeated. Verse 4, because this man often had been bound with shackles and chains, but he snapped off the chains and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And always, night and day, he was crying out among the tombs and the mountains and in the mountains and cutting himself with stones. The Bible says he was defeated. Now, when you read that, the good guys put chains and shackles on him, and the bad guy, the gathering demoniac, would break the shackles and break the chains, and he was running around scaring everybody to death. And yet I'm saying he was the one that was defeated. It sounds like, on first glance, that it was the good guys that were defeated. You're trying to put shackles on him, and he breaks them. It looks like he's winning, and you're losing. So how do I say that the gathering demoniac is the one who is defeated? 
He was defeated but thought he was victorious. He was dead but he thought he was alive. He was defeated and dead, running around scaring everybody, thinking that he was alive and victorious. How is that possible? Here's the simple answer. That's what lost people do. In our world today, lost people who don't know Jesus Christ, they haven't heard the gospel, they haven't met the Lord Jesus, they run around thinking they're the ones that are winning. I have news for you, dear friend. One day, retribution will be yours. One day, the judgment will happen. And then it is those of us who have trusted the Lord Jesus will be given the well done, good, and faithful. Enter into your eternal reward. And the Bible says for those who are dead and defeated, even without hope, demented and dead and defeated, Jesus will look at you and say, I'm sorry, but I never knew you. Depart from me. That's why becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, that's why accepting the good news, it's good news for Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important, not because of the rewards on this side of eternity, but the rewards forever in heaven in eternity. And it matters, dear friends. So he was demented. He was dead, and he was defeated. Now follow along, look at verses 6 and 7. When Jesus saw this man, verse 6, from a distance, Jesus ran out, and, or the man ran out and knelt before Jesus. And the man cried out in a loud voice. Now, pause right there. I believe what you're about to hear is not the man speaking. It is the demon that is possessing the man that is speaking. Watch this when I, when I, when I read on. And, and he cried out with a loud voice. What do you have to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. What do you, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? Listen, this was a demon-possessed man from the Galilee area that hadn't really heard the gospel. He'd been living among the tombs. He wasn't getting CNN or Fox News. He didn't know anything about Jesus Christ. He didn't know anything about the gospel. He doesn't know that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. But I have news for you. Satan does. And this demon did. So I believe this verse is not the man speaking. I believe it is the devil himself who's speaking. Which brings me to a new change in our Bible study. We're moving now from the miserable soul to the second major character in this story, and that is the mighty Savior. I want you to realize that now Jesus kind of takes up the story, and he runs with it. And there's a couple of things right here that Jesus does that are very important. Number one, letter A, he talks about the man's humanity. Jesus deals with this gathering demoniac as a man under oppression, not as a man without hope. Look at this, word, this verse, if you would. Look at verse 8. For he had told him, Jesus had told this man, come out of the man. Jesus spoke to the, to the demon. Jesus speaks back not to the man, but to the demon. Jesus says, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus calls this guy a man. He didn't look like a man. He was naked and cut and bleeding and probably had a Duck Dynasty beard. and I mean, he looked horrible, scary. Can you imagine going on a beautiful cruise on the allure of the seas or the oasis of the seas, and you dock in 
Jamaica, which is not exactly the greatest port in the whole world, and you get off that little commons area off the cruise on the island of Jamaica, and, and you get through that little commons area, and all of a sudden, somebody out of the tomb area comes running at you, and he's naked as a jaybird, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, and, and he's cut, and he's bleeding, and everybody else, when they hear him and see him, they run for cover, and you're standing there. What are you going to call him? Martha, get back on the boat. The crazy man's after us. But Jesus uses a word that's almost a word of endearment. Satan, come out of this gentleman. Now, this is very important. Why did, Satan, why did Jesus call this demon-possessed man a man of endearment? Sir. Let me tell you why. Listen, right up here. Listen, 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 right up here. Because when Jesus looked at him, he didn't see him for who he was. He saw him for who he could be. And friend, if you're here today and your life seems to be falling apart, and if you're here today and you have a huge pressing need in front of you that's just distracting you and maybe it's drowning you, listen, if your life is falling apart and you feel like you don't even deserve the good news of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, let me tell you how Jesus sees you, not as a person about to drown under your problems. He doesn't see you as a person that's even demon-possessed. Jesus sees you not for who you are in the mess of your life. He sees you for the glory that you can be when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news. And I believe that's one of the important messages behind this madness miracle that happens in the man of the Gadarene demoniac. So he calls this man and talks about this man's humanity. When God looks at your life, he doesn't see your life now. He sees your life eternally. When he looks at you, he doesn't see a problem child. He sees somebody for whom he sent his only begotten son to die for. When he looked at Simon, he didn't see the man who was a fisherman. He saw Peter, who was a fisher of men. When he saw, when he saw Saul, he didn't see Saul, the persecutor of the church. He saw Paul, the great missionary, the great evangelist, who would bring the gospel not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And Gentile audience, aren't you glad he did that? So ladies and gentlemen, you see that Jesus sees this man's humanity, but then secondly, I want you to notice the Savior's deity. When we're looking at the mighty Savior, we see the Savior's power and his might and his deity. Look at verse, look at verse 13. The Bible says, and he gave them permission and the unclean spirit came out of the man and entered the pigs and heard of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea, drowning there. You see, the man was no match for the demonic power of Satan, but Satan knew that he was no match for the eternal power of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I think this is really, really important. Notice what happens when the gig's up for Satan. Notice what happens when the demon has been found out and flushed out. He says, wait, 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 wait Jesus, wait, wait, wait. I know you can do to me whatever you want to because you are God in human flesh. And I get that. I know that. I know I'm no match for you. But listen, I know you're going to cast me out of this person because this is one of the people for whom you're about to go to the cross and die for the forgiveness of his sins. I, I, I get the gospel message. But Jesus, if you would, listen, if you're going to cast me out of this man, would you please at least just let me go inhabit that herd of a hundred pigs? 
You know what that says to me? Maybe he doesn't say this to anybody else in the audience. You know what he says to me? Do you know how much Satan values the life of that gathering demoniac man? He treasures that man's life equally to the life of the pig. Hey, hey gee, I don't, Jesus, I don't care if I'm inhabiting this man or that pig. Just let me live. Listen, dear friend. If you're here this morning without Christ and without hope, I want you to understand it is not Satan nor any of the satanic parts of this world that truly loves you. The one who loves you is the one who demonstrated his love by dying on the cross to give you eternal life. That's our mighty Savior. Hallelujah. What a Savior. But then there's a third thing that I want you to notice. Not just a miserable soul and a mighty Savior, but I want you to understand a miraculous salvation. A miraculous salvation. There's a wonderful part of this story. And the story is that we must identify both you and I together. Do you know that you are here today, even those of you who know Jesus Christ, you have something easily identifiable in common with the gathering demoniac? And you know what that is? Jesus. Maybe you don't live in the tombs. Maybe you live in a beautiful home. Maybe you don't run around naked. Thank goodness you have clothes on. Maybe you don't have a Duck Dynasty beard. His gets changed. It becomes now a Brad Pitt, you know, two-day stubble. It's just wonderful the transformation that happens in this man's life. But do you know what you and I do have in common with this man? God touches us through Jesus. And that's exactly what happened, this miraculous salvation. And let me tell you about the salvation. There's two things here. I want you to follow along with me. Number one, this salvation, it changes our lives. Jot that down. You're going to see an incredible transformation in this gathering demoniac's life now that he's intersected and met Jesus. Follow along, if you would, in this particular verse. Verse 14. The Bible says, The men who tended them, that is the pigs, they ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside, and the people went to see what had happened. They went to see the change that had taken place in this man who used to be indwelt by this demon, but now the demon indwelt their pigs, and their pigs jumped off the cliff to their demise. And so the keepers of the pigs ran into the city and said, man, you got to come see what happened. As a matter of fact, to make it today's jargon, you got to come see what happened in the life of this gathering demoniac. Because when you get saved, it changes your life. I don't have any patience for people who say, oh yeah, I've been saved. And we're changing part of my life. I'm still doing all the things I did before I met Jesus. Then you ain't met Jesus, my friend. You can't meet the King of kings and Lord of lords who created the universe before breakfast one time a few thousand years ago and not be a changed person. Because salvation changes us. And that's, that's the message of the story to a degree. When you meet Jesus, you'll never be the same again. That's why our country needs to meet Jesus. That's why our world needs to meet Jesus. That's why our churches need to better meet Jesus. That's why our individuals, Christians like you and me, we need to walk more faithfully with Jesus. Why? Because when we walk with Jesus, after we have met the Lord Jesus, it changes our life for his glory. 
But not just it changes our life, this salvation, secondly, it controls our life. Now, I know this is a little bit more controversial. I don't mean to be controversial. I just, I, I just believe this is biblical. Notice what it says in the next verse, in verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed by the legion sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were all afraid. They came back and they saw this man who had been running around like a crazy man sitting there. Why? Because he'd been changed by Jesus and he was now under the control of Jesus. They saw this man that was demon-possessed who was now in his right mind sitting there. Why? Why? Because he was changed by the Lord Jesus and he was under the control of the Lord Jesus. They saw this man that was naked as a jaybird, now sporting very nice clothes. They saw him with a beard, Duck Dynasty beard that had been cut to a now just a couple of day stubble, which is really cool and in vogue now. They saw the transformation. He was under control. He was in his right mind now that he met Jesus. Now, come on, folks. This is audience participation, and you're not going to get this wrong. If you're in your right mind after you meet Jesus, what does that mean that you are before you meet Jesus? In your wrong mind. Isn't that logical? So if you're here today and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, I, I'm telling you what Scripture says. This is not my opinion. This is not Cross Life Church's opinion. This is not even Billy Graham's opinion because our opinions don't matter. But let me tell you what the Scripture says, and if you have a problem with it, you're going to have to talk to God. Here's what God says in His Word. When you are in Christ is the only time you're truly in your right mind. That's just the gospel. And the Bible says our mighty Savior can bring us a marvelous, marvelous salvation. But fourthly, and I'm going to get to this point, this is what the whole message is all about. Notice on your Bible study notes this last principle. And the last principle is simply this. I want us to talk for a moment about the message of life change. As the title of this message says, what is the message within the madness miracle? It's a message about life change. This is not a story in the Bible to accentuate the miracle of Jesus beating up on Satan. That's not exactly news. If you have a, a disagreement between, a power struggle between Jesus and Satan, that's not even a fair fight. Jesus wins every time. So there's got to be some other reason that this is in the Bible, and there is. It is about the message for each of us to learn. What is the practical application? Gentlemen, what is something that you can put in your shirt pocket and carry home? Ladies, what is something you can write down on your note sheet? Because I know the ladies are the ones that do notes most of the time. And, and put in your purse and take home and stick up on your refrigerator so you say, you know what? I need to remember this all week when Satan tries to do a number on me. I guarantee you the people in the, in, in the story didn't understand it. Did you see that in verse 15 when the Bible says that the people there saw that Jesus had changed the gathering demoniac? They were afraid. Some of you are afraid to haul off and live for the Lord Jesus Christ, which means that you don't get the message of the gospel. Some of you are here today, and like in verse 17, after Jesus had changed this man's life for the better because he introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ, these people asked Jesus to leave. Hey, listen, you're upsetting our culture. You're upsetting our community. You're changing people's lives. We need you to get out of here. If that's your response to Jesus Christ, you don't understand the true message of the gospel. It is for the betterment of your life and mine. Four things about the message. Number one, this man, number one, 
had a new desire. Look at you in verse 18. As the man, formerly the gathering demoniac, or as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man, the gathering demoniac, who had been demon-possessed, kept begging Jesus to be with him. That's, that's, that's new. His desire used to be to run around and scare everybody to death. His desire used to be to create havoc in the community. Now his desire, Jesus, you've so changed my life. I want to be with you. Now that's, that's a good thing, right? As Christians, listen, we who've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we want to be with Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something very surprising. Jesus says no. And let me apply it to all the Christians who are in the room. Ladies and gentlemen, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you walk around and go, oh, I just want to be in a Bible study. Oh, I, I just want to be around where the gospel is. And oh, I just want to be around where the rivers of the mercy of God flow all the time. I just can't wait to be at church all the time, every time, every day, all day, every time. I just want to be around the things of Jesus. You know what Jesus would say? Stop. I didn't save you so you could just hang around blood-bought, heaven-bound, gospel-filled, spirit-indwelt people all the time. I saved you for a purpose. It's the same purpose that Jesus had, and that is to go and to seek and to save that which is lost. So he had a new desire to hang around Jesus, but now look at this. He not only had a new desire, secondly, he had a new direction. Look at this next verse. What is his new direction? In verse 19, but Jesus would not let him be with him. Instead, he told the guy, go back home. Ladies and gentlemen, when we receive Jesus Christ, our number one responsibility is to go take those people that are in our sphere of influence, our home base, so to speak, and to go to them to give them the message that God has changed us, which leads me to the third thing. This is the message within the life of this person. Not only did he have a new desire, not only did he have a new direction, but thirdly, he had a new declaration. Look at the rest of verse 19. But he would not let him. Instead, Jesus told the man, go back home to your own people and report to them, watch, how your new clothes look so pretty. No, no, or go back to your own people and report to them how you trimmed up your long grubby beard. Is that what Jesus told him to go back and say? No, come on, folks, read this with me. He told him, go back home, read it out loud. Go back home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He didn't go back home and say, look at the new wardrobe. Look at the new way that I'm in my right mind. Listen, so many times Christians think sharing their witness is to tell everybody else about the new you. No, it is to tell everybody else about the one who made you the new you. There's a huge difference between those two. So don't, don't tell everybody, well, you know, I used to be a drug addict and, and now I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm not. And that's wonderful, but that's not the gospel message. You do know that Jesus against your drug addiction is not an even fair, ma fair fight. Well, I used to be an alcoholic, or my wife and I used to be having problems in our marriage, and it's wonderful that Jesus has changed all of that, and not that any of us are perfect, but the message of the believer is not what God has done to you. It is what God wants to do through you to the others. The same Jesus that changed you can change the person that God sends you to to share the gospel with. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's the message of this story. 
It is that he has a new desire, that he has a new direction, that he has a new declaration. But then fourthly and finally, it is that he has a new dedication. A new dedication. Look at verse 20 and then I'm done. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all stunned and amazed. Ladies and gentlemen, when you tell your people who need to hear the gospel and who need to meet Jesus the things that Jesus has done for you with an emphasis on Jesus, not on you, they'll be amazed. What is the secret of that? It is just tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the cross. There was a little girl in London, England one time who got lost. She was just a little four or five-year-old girl, but she'd lost her parents. And so the police came up and wanted to help her and said, oh, sweetheart, it's going to be okay. We'll, we'll help you. We'll get you home. Can you tell me where you live? What's your address? And she goes, I don't know my address. All I know is I live beside the big cross. And the police said, well, do you know where that is in town? I mean, there are several massive, important, touristy-type places do you know where yours is? She said, no. She says, that's okay. We'll, we'll find it. We'll take you to several places until you find your home. And so they took her, first of all, to Big Ben, that iconic timepiece of the universe. Is this close to where you live? The young lady says, no, sir. It's near the cross. And they took her next to Buckingham Palace, the place where the queen lives. Is this close to where you live? No, no sir. It's, it's got a cross. And so they took her to, to the Palace of Westminster, that iconic head of Parliament, and that's not the right place either. They took her to Trafalgar Square, and again, she said, no, this is not it. And they took her to Kensington Palace, which is, by the way, where Harry and, and Meghan are going to be living. And they said, is this the place near where you live? And she said, no, it's near the cross. And so the police escorted her to St. Paul's Cathedral, which is the last bastion of any kind of gospel in London. But over the center of that incredible place of worship, it's a cross. And when the police took her there, she said, that's it. I live and can come home because you got me to the cross. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, that is the message of this story in Mark 5? It is not about a man whom Jesus helped to break the shackles or to, to put on a new set of clothes or to be in his right mind. It's about what the cross did for him. And ladies and gentlemen, no matter what you talk about and no matter where you go and no matter who you speak to, always remember the message is about Jesus and the cross. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Friend, I am so honored that we had a chance to meet each other this morning, but I, I don't want to leave just after a talking fit. I want us to share a moment that could be important to you in your life. If you're here this morning and you already know Jesus, it could be that your message has been diluted because you've begun to talk about with others everything except what matters the most. Would you kindly recommit yourself in this moment of silence, in this moment of prayer, would you just say, Lord, I need to repent and come back to the true message of the gospel. I need to talk to people about Jesus and the cross because that's what changed me. 
I used to be a drug addict, but I'm not changed because I don't do drugs. There are other sins in my life. What changed me is I met Jesus. And maybe for many of you here, that's the commitment that you need to make today. If you're, not, if you're here today and you've never heard the gospel, you've never met the Lord Jesus personally, I mean, you know about Jesus, but I mean, you've never trusted him as your own personal Lord and Savior. Can I just say that you are in many ways in need of the greatest, most wonderful transformation that you could possibly imagine? And in this moment, these gentlemen that are here in front of me and counselors that are available, they want to talk with you, please. There's nothing more important that you're going to do for the rest of the day than spend five minutes letting somebody tell you how you can meet Jesus. It'll be the most important five minutes of your life, and you'll never be the same. So when we stand and sing a song in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come. On behalf of your pastor, I open the doors of this church and plead with you to come because what makes us relevant is not big, beautiful buildings and incredible, wonderful worship times and great pastoral and staff leadership. What makes this relevant to you is about whom we speak and sing. We want to tell you about Jesus. Father, I pray for this time of invitation. I pray for this wonderful worship team. I pray for all those who are in the audience. I pray as we gather together around this song that fits so well with the message of this story today, I pray for a man or a woman who need to rededicate their life as believers to talking about Jesus. I pray for a man or a woman or a single adult or an older child or whomever it might be who say, you know what, I've never truly trusted Christ as my Savior. God, in this moment, let it be more than just music. Let it be a melody in heaven because there are those who meet Jesus and respond to the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.